Absolutely. Give a man a purpose. Give a man a five million dollars. On behalf of something? Imaginary gold star. Yes. On behalf of some something or someone. Tell me on behalf. from the sea to create the purple uh, dye that they were using their silk. And that was what royalty or nobility would wear. So you can't really get that when you're stuck in the middle of the land. So you'd have to trade and go, look, we've got some pretty good timber out the back. How about we give you a bit of this and you give us a bit of the, the lovely purple dye. As a, just a quick little reference. So you have to be able to understand the ins and outs of all the happenings of the kingdom. Now, who do you think the king would have as a representative? Three, that's what. I thought about this before, but there should be three quick ones that come to mind. A person? Well, no, that's top-notch stuff. So the first one... If the prince was old enough, he would act as a representative and go on behalf of his father. All right, so take note of that. The second one would be nobility that was very close in relationship to the king. They were very close friends. They may have done life together and they understood what the other person was thinking, almost like twins that they finished each other's sentences. 
Um, or they would have the, I guess you could say, the top servant in the castle. Someone that is literally directly underneath the king. The king will give him commands and he gives everyone else commands and they do what he says, sort of thing. So those are the three that I could think of quickly of who a king would send to be his representative. So when they would head off to other kingdoms, first of all, they would dress apart. So when they rocked up, people knew straight away that they were an important person coming for an important meeting. And so whether, however they were dressed, they had a, an emblem on them from their kingdom's flag or something like that, um, they would tend to go, not necessarily in the royal carriage, but they would go in a pretty fancy one and they'd actually have guards around them to protect them so that they could get to the place to do what they were supposed to do. They would speak the part, so they would actually, the way they talked, it wasn't rough around the edges, it was very polite, it was very proper. They knew exactly what they had to say and when to say it. They didn't, they didn't. They did not not think about what they were going to say. Um, so, and what they would be doing was to actually, sorry, how they would do it, or the way they did it, they did it with a purpose to bring honour to their king. Because if they slipped up or did something that would be frowned upon, everybody looks at them and goes, oh, righto, if he's like that, king mustn't be all that great either. So they would perceive who the king was like through their representative. Is that starting to twig a few little things? Sound a bit familiar with who we are? People taking notes? Because I'll be, oh, yeah, Jacko. Because I'll be following up with this stuff <laughs> later on. So you'll remember <clears throat> I've said it at least twice. So... They would do their best to represent their king because they didn't want others to look negatively towards the person that sent them. So was, yeah, it's quite a special thing for them to be able to do that. So that's what a representative is. Now, as Christians, who do we represent? God. Excellent. Do you know how many nights I don't even know this. I'm just chucking it out there. Do you know how many names there are in the Bible for God in Hebrew? Just flick out a number, any number. Twenty-three. Twenty-three. That's actually whoa! Ho, ho. <laughs> I've been through like five different websites and I've accumulated nowhere near two hundred. So, <laughs> but twenty-three is actually to me that's actually a pretty good ballpark. Yes, I've got about 15 here, I think. So, who do we represent? So, El Shaddai, which, who's heard of the Amy Grant song, El Shaddai? Yeah. I always thought it said Elsie Die. Elsie Die, not El Shaddai. Uh, <laughs> I'll explain it. <laughs> So, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, or All-Sufficient One. So that was actually, oh, how many times was that written there? 
No, I didn't even write the number down. My bad. Uh, I'll go to the next one. El Elyon. So the most high God. Uh, so Adonai, which is actually a plural word for Lord or Master. So Adon is actually the plural, oh, sorry, the singular word. But Adonai is actually the God, which is amazing because Adonai is plural for three. Because our God is three, not just one. So that's cool how they did that sort of thing in there. Um, so Yahweh, which is one that we know a lot of, Yahweh or Jehovah, which is Lord. But what I actually found out this week when I was looking this up, so the, the actual spelling for Yahweh is Y-H-W-H. So when God actually presented himself to Moses and he told him who he was, it was actually four letters. And if I can pronounce it correctly. So the four letters. No, I didn't write that down. Dang it. Never mind. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool, but there's actually no vowels whatsoever in God's name when he presented himself to the people. But for us to be able to pronounce it, we chuck vowels in there just to make it that little bit easier. Um, so uh, another one is Jehovah Nissi, which is the Lord my banner. So what would you do when you went into battle? So when two guys would meet one army on top of one hill, another army on the other side, you go valley in the middle, they would have a banner of their kingdom at the forefront of it to say, this is who we are, this is where we stand, come at us. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So God is our banner when we come against the enemy. This is who he is, this is where we stand. You can try and come at us. I know you've already lost, but give it your best. Um, Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord my shepherd, uh, which is actually... So what did a shepherd do in Bible times? Other than look after sheep. Or oh, sorry, elaborate looking after sheep. That's what I was going to say. Because obviously they went to war and do all that sort of stuff. But what did they do as a shepherd when they looked after sheep? Killed things. Yep. So they protected the sheep. What else did they do? Yes, Eli. What was that? <laughs> that is not a sign. <laughs> Fair enough. Alright, so they protected. What else did they do? So they take turns. So shepherds would rotate if they were part of the same family. Otherwise, they're like. I'm not looking after your sheep because that's not my money to do with it. Um, so they would actually stay with them at all times, day and night. They would constantly be moving them around to keep them where there's fresh grass, clean water. And so everything that they did, they put the effort in to keep the sheep alive. So the Lord, my shepherd, he has put everything in place so that we can cling to him and remain alive. Really, because we're not with God, we're dead, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord who heals. 
Jehovah Shammah, which is the Lord is there, and that was actually a reference to Jerusalem. So when people would, in conversation, they would say, the Lord is there, and that that was always the reference point of Jerusalem. And that was not just a past, but it was a present, and it's also a future, that God is always in Jerusalem. You read Revelation, there is a new Jerusalem, different town, but it's the same name because it had such a special purpose. Um, this one is really tricky to pronounce. I'll give it a go. Jehovah Sid Hanu. I wasn't too far off. The Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah uh, Makadosh. The Lord who sanctifies you. The Lord who makes you holy. Um, let me just block my nose. Elohim, the everlasting God, the God of eternity, the God of the universe, the God of ancient days. Elohim, God, judge, creator. This one was an interesting one. Kanor, and it literally means jealous. And they, that's what the Hebrews actually called him as one of their names was he is a jealous God. That he wants us so bad to be with him. Yeah. I thought that was pretty amazing. This is one you guys have probably heard of. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. Every single time. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord of peace. And Jehovah... So the Lord of hosts and the Lord of power. So a lot of these names are names that the Hebrews came up with to name God when God brought them through a situation. So when they went through an experience with God, they tagged a, a verb onto his name because of what he did. And so it was a name to remind themselves that this is what God did for us this is what he's doing for us, and he will do this for us. So I always think that's a pretty special thing to actually remind ourselves. So, have you ever actually stopped and looked back and thought about the times that God got you through a situation? Hindsight? Have we ever used it before? That's good. In those situations, does one of those names line up with the situation we went through that God helped you through it. Pretty cool, isn't it? And it just goes to show God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Alright, so that's the God that we should represent. The one that would willingly send his son to die for us so that we could come back into relationship with us. The one that bled profusely for us, such a horrific death, so we could be in relationship with him again. That is a God who we should represent. So, and then also 
why should we represent this God? So once you accept Jesus into your heart, which I hope all of us have, if not, we'll get there, you become a child of God. Philippians 2, 14-16, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, which is without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. So that last bit was actually, well, the whole thing was a letter from Paul to the Philippians. So the last bit was actually talking about himself. But the rest of it, he's talking to the church there, going, do, so do everything without grumbling or disputing, which is pretty much everything negative, really, isn't it? So instead of grumbling and disputing, how would you do it? The opposite. What's the opposite? What's the opposite of grumbling? <laughs> we'll go with that. What is the opposite of dispute? What is a dispute? I heard that. Speak up, is all right? I'll single you out every time. <laughs> So, so without arguing, I guess you could say willingly do it. If you're not going to argue about it, you will willingly do it. So to do all things, so I would say joyfully instead of grumbling. So I would do it joyfully and willingly so that you prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. I love it. He calls us children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and perverse generation. Who sees that today? It's absolutely everywhere, isn't it? And in that statement, children of God above reproach amongst, well, sorry, in the midst of crooked and perverse generation. We stand out already. Don't we? Not doing what the crooked and perverse world are doing, which is disputing and grumbling, and so much more, we already stand out. Among whom you appear as lights in the world. Because we're not doing what they're doing, we're standing out, we're naturally lights to them, which is the world in darkness. Um, holding fast to the word of life. What's the word of life? A Bible. <coughs> Uh, John 1, uh, 12, 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right... He gave the right to become children of God. Absolutely beautiful. How simple is it? He gave us all the choice to believe. And when we do believe, he gives us the right to be children of God. Uh, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. I think that's pretty beautiful. 
And 1 John 3.1, see how a great love of the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know. So the knowing this was actually to understand, perceive, or to have knowledge of. So the world does not understand you because, ah, uh, sorry, world did not know the world did not know or understand us because it did not understand him we become heirs of the kingdom James 2 5 listen my beloved brethren did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who loved him? So we become children of God, heirs of the kingdom. We are servants of Christ. So 1 Timothy 4, 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Uh, another one is bond servant, which is another name for slave. Galatians 1.10 For am I now seeking the favour of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. There's a distinction there, isn't it? If I was trying to please men or trying to please God, there is a there's a straight line separation between. There cannot be any carryover. There's no blurred lines. There's nothing like that. You're either one or the other. Uh, Luke 17, 7 to 10. Which of you having a slave... So this was actually the words of Jesus. So which of you having a slave ploughing or tending sheep will say to him when he is coming from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will you not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded of you, say we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. Does that make sense? It's actually one of my favourite scriptures in the Bible, Luke 17, 7 to 10. Because we are totally unworthy to be called children of God, heirs of the kingdom. We should be labelled as a slave. And we do these things to glorify God, not to receive praise for him, but because it's the position that we're in that we should be doing these things. So because of all these things that God is in name and in character and what he has done and will do for each of us, that's why we should represent him. It is our duty as children of God to be honourable to our Father for this gift of being in his family, sorry, for this gift of being in his family, he deserves every effort on our behalf or from our behalf. 
Because the more I think about it, you could elaborate so much more, but it's just in awe of thinking how truly unworthy we are. And it's just a simple thing of going, Jesus, I believe you, I accept you, I want you in my life. And that's it, job done. But from that moment on, we are to continuously strive for God, for relationship with him, to grow his kingdom, go out and preach the good news, preach the gospel. We do these things not to receive gratification, but we go, God, you are so good, you are so worthy. I should be doing these things second nature. I don't have to think about it. It's just something that should be part of me, I guess you could say. Um, all right. So who has seen a completely out of control or very naughty child? I saw that. Has anybody seen that? Surely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But from seeing that, who has actually thought negatively towards the parents? <laughs> What's the child been? The representative of how the parents raised them. They're representing what the parents have ingrained and instilled in them. Wow. And I'm very much at fault of that. And it's actually not for us to do that and look negatively or think negatively towards them. We're going, God, do something in this situation or work on them. So unfortunately, a majority of the secular world has this perception of our God because of our lack of representing God to the best of our abilities. Who's... I guess it's in the news a lot. Who hears and sees a lot of secular world down-talking God because of things that the church has done? A lot of mega churches, unfortunately, just with all the stress put on them, uh, a lot of just spotlight. There's a lot of churches that aren't in the spotlight that fall apart just from things that happen. And God's not in the situation, unfortunately. But all these things happen, and the secular world go, so that's what God's like. That's what church is like. And they start to paint this picture, and they've been painting it, the last 2,000 years of a negative picture of God. And it's going to be a tricky one to break. Uh, so Sunday Christians do not help this either. So what's a Sunday Christian? Church go. Church go. What do they do on the weekend? <coughs> Anything else? Bailey's on it. So when I think of a Sunday Christian, it's purely someone that rocks up on Sunday... But the rest of the week, they live their own life however they want. And they don't think about any of the repercussions and they go, they rock up on Sunday and go, I'm saved by God, thank you, Jesus. And then they go back out the next week and do the exact same stuff all over again. They're not saved. If they were truly saved, that they would repent from those things and start actually working on their life and working towards the glory of God. Um, and one of the things that's becoming more and more prominent is when the church starts to blur the lines 
between what's biblical, what's not, um, between what the Bible says and how they feel the Bible should be. That's probably a really big one at the minute, isn't it? The Bible says this, but we feel it says this. It's a pretty dangerous situation to be in when you start saying, God said this this way because I think it. There's so much time our emotions manipulate how we perceive things. Emotions drive how we say things. Emotions drive how we receive words that are spoken to us as well. Um, unfortunately, the secular world sees us becoming more and more like them rather than us leaving such an impact that they actually come looking for answers and find God for themselves. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. What would you rather, be loved by the world or be loved by God? Loved by God. There's a lot of things connected to that, isn't there? A lot of what we say, how we say it, what we do and how we do it, will determine, or show people, sorry, how, whether we look like we're actually following God or just part of them. Um, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So don't be conformed to this world. Don't be shaped by it. So shaping our thoughts of how we perceive stuff. Um, shape what we say and shape what we do. Because then we start to normalise stuff that shouldn't be acceptable in the eyes of God. And we go, it's alright, God will forgive us. If we do that every single day, we're not really making an effort to chase after God, are we? If we just think he's going to say it by his, he'll forgive us, we get in this dangerous repetition and we get to the point that we'll rock up when we die on heaven's doors and God's like, what were you doing? If you fully believed me, you would have actually stopped doing these things. Um, so we become co-heirs with Christ. So that is an ability status that we should be grateful to receive and strive to fulfil to the best of our abilities. We are servants of God as well. So the master has taken us into his household, provided shelter for before we were in constant danger of being out in the elements. And those elements that I'm talking about is literally everything. Whether it's internet, words, TV, what people do, that's elements. Everything that's not of God. Uh, food for when we were starving and couldn't be satisfied. Clothing to cover the parts about us that we were ashamed and purpose when we were wandering aimlessly. I'll say that again. So the master has taken us into his household, providing shelter for, providing shelter 
For before we were in constant danger out in the elements, he provided food when we were starving and couldn't be satisfied. He provided clothing to cover the parts about us that we were ashamed. And he provided a purpose when we were wandering aimlessly. So as gratitude, we honour him and bring glory to his name in every aspect of our lives. So how do we represent God? How we present ourselves, in our attitude and our appearance. So looks is a big thing these days, isn't it? Or how we look, how we dress, what we wear, symbols we wear, those sort of things. People can identify quite easily where we're at simply by the clothes we choose to wear and the attitude that we bring. So if you're walking down the street and you go to have, or someone comes out of a conversation with you and you just shrug them off, it's not a very good attitude to have, is it? Not a very godly attitude anyway. So for us to present ourselves, we would gladly, if they pull us aside, gladly stop, chat, be genuine about it, about how you're actually going, and show interest in the conversation. And in that, you are showing God's love. What we say, positive over negative. So words are spoken from emotion, and words we receive, our emotions respond. Um, there's so much, I literally did not have time, but there's so much scripture about the power of the tongue and the power of our words. Our word is spoken... It never comes back in vain. So it always goes to do its purpose. Whether we meant it or not, when it hits its target, they react, whether it's a positive or a negative way. And so for us, as representatives of God, we have to be very careful of what we say and how we say it. So even teasing and making fun of, don't think that's very godly, is it? The only time in the Bible that Jesus ripped into somebody, he actually ripped into the people that should have known better, that were people that supposedly followed God. Everyone else, he was considerate, he was loving, he showed them compassion. And yet, the ones that yeah, should have known better, he gave an absolute serving. Um... So how we act, what we do in front of others. So if you go with the boys to the pub and you get absolutely sloshed, it's not really leaving a good representation, is it? It's not a sin to drink, but it is a sin to be drunk. Because you can do some very stupid things and you don't know that you're doing it. And a lot of people, from what I've seen, I notice a lot of people will actually make a remark when you don't drink and find out you're not a Christian and they'll make a remark when they find you do drink and you are a Christian. should be the other way around. You're confused? So people are more surprised when a non-Christian doesn't drink and they're more surprised when a Christian does. Does that make sense then? Yeah. So not really? Yeah. No? 
That's the right airway. <laughs> so, I've always found they remark at it like, oh, man, you're a Christian. Why are you drinking? Like, I thought the Bible says not to do that stuff. And they sort of start to paint this picture, like we've been talking about already, of what they perceive a Christian to be. Um, so, being genuine in every interaction that we have, showing that we actually care about the people around us, uh, notice the individual in the crowd. But to do any of these things, we first need to have God in our life, in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit. And then, only then, can we do these things to be able to represent Him. But once we accept Him into our life, before we can readily go out and represent Him, we first have to actually know what He does, how He does it, why He does it. So what I talk about at the very beginning in the new, with the representative of the kingdom, they spent time with the king to understand all the ins and outs of his thinking process, what he did, all these things, how he would say stuff, we need to be able to spend time with God and really delve into it. Read the Bible as much as you can. As that paints a picture of who God is from beginning to end. There's not just God is the New Testament. God is the whole Bible. But there's a transition that happens of how he starts to respond to us. So the Old Testament was a setup for the New and um, at the very beginning, when God created the garden, He wanted man in His image to have a relationship with Him. So He created the garden to set it up so that we could be with Him. It says, well, after they sinned, God was walking in the garden in the middle of the day. Like, sorry, in the cool of the day, like it was a regular thing. And Adam and Eve knew that, and they went in here. So God created us to have a relationship, so much so that you walk with him literally side by side. But after the sin, we got separated. And there's no way we could claw our way back. The only way was to accept Jesus' offering for us. And so, from after that moment, he strived. So he always strived. And so that roughly 4,000 years of the Old Testament, he set up every single dot point for Jesus to be born through the people that he was. Sorry, through Mary and all the bloodlines. So Mary was actually a descendant of David, and so was Joseph. If you actually read through that, it actually does a bloodline of her and a bloodline of him. And they both go back to King David. And so for him to be purely born of Mary and the Holy Spirit, and God told David that he was born from his bloodline, he didn't lie. I think that's a pretty special thing. And so he set all that up so that we could come back into relationship and forever stay in that relationship. So he wants us to read the Bible. He wants us to pray 
with him. He wants us to receive the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can reveal more out of the Word than we could ever try to perceive by ourselves. Um, so once we've accepted him into our hearts, yeah, to understand who he is and what he asks of us, we need to read his word and spend much time in prayer with him. There's no cheat sheet way to do all these things. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, these things will start to become more natural to you. If all you've got in you is God, naturally God's going to come out, isn't it? When we start putting worldly things into us, those worldly things will start to come out of us. So, we have Micah, Bethany, and Tatum come back up. So to be representative, we are being someone or acting on behalf of someone. So for us here on earth, accepting God into our life and asking him to live through us, we are acting on his behalf. We are representing him here on earth. And to be able to do that, we first need to accept him. I mean really accept him. Not just that, oh yeah, doing it because everyone else is doing it. I'm doing it because everyone else got up, so I might as well get up as well. But a genuine response that your heart has this, or sorry, your stomach has this wretching feeling of God, I actually want to connect to this being. I want to understand them more. I want to be a child of God. I want to be an heir of the kingdom. I want to be in relationship with this being. One thing I've done, and the guys that were at White House last week, with worship, or sorry, with praise for me, if I don't mean the words that are up on the screen, I won't sing them. Or I will change them so that they're what my heart truly feels about God. So for me to be genuine about it, just because they're there doesn't mean you have to. It's exactly the same with everything else in our life. Just because it's there doesn't mean we have to do it. But we allow God to respond and move through us to be able to change the lives of those around us. Because we're that shining light that's not in this world. Because the world hates us, it should make us come closer to God even more because we know He loves us. And his love far surpasses the hate of the world. With that love moving through us, it will start to change the hate of the world to love towards God. But we need to be able to make that initial step for us to start growing in this walk with him. Please close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, I just give you the praise and glory, Lord. Thank you so much for what you did on that cross, Jesus, that you died for us so that we could come back into relationship with the Father. And when we come back into relationship with the Father, we connect with Him, we understand Him more, we 
we understand who he is, what he does, why he does, and how he does it. And through that, Lord, we just ask that we're able to be representatives to an absolute point of accuracy of who you are, God. To the world around us, to reveal your love, your joy, your peace, your understanding of every situation that they're going through. You're already in there. Father, the, the longing and the searching that they're doing, going through all these other avenues, is because they're searching for the one thing to fill them, and that one thing is you and you alone. Father, we just praise and thank you so much. We are truly not worthy to be representatives of you, while we are oh so grateful that we are given the opportunity to do so.